0: modern christianity or at least modern western christianity as expressed by the church seems to have got very confused about the afterlife which is odd because you'd think the afterlife would be one of their unique selling points in the modern world and there'll be a certain clarity about it but there really isn't i noticed this particularly when i was watching the funeral of prince philip And although the ritual felt extraordinarily profound and meaningful, truly sending a soul on its way, the words jumbled up all sorts of different ideas about the afterlife, from a soul going forth to a soul resting, waiting for some indefinite thing called the general resurrection. Um, It was said that the soul might face judgment, but then not judgment, but then mercy, It might go to goodness, light, even the eternal God, but on the other hand might just go to the dust. I think what's happened in Christianity is that the service is a reflection of trying to force a number of different inconsistent ideas together, which come out of irresolutions that ultimately reach back to the New Testament. So, for example, does Jesus save individuals, or does the presence of Jesus in the world represent a complete change for the whole of creation, which we're caught up in whether we realise it or not? That's one issue. A second would be, is Jesus going to return for some kind of second coming, or is the kingdom of God already within you, which is the quieter, lesser tradition within the New Testament? But I think the one that captures The truth of what jesus himself tried to convey because it's harder to understand than an apocalypse which captures the imagination quite directly and then thirdly actually it's quite a a modern trouble which is this split of the soul from the body this comes with modern dualism just isn't known in the ancient world and nowadays christians can get very animated about the soul isn't something floating around inside us and the body really matters. And so that leads to all sorts of confusions, therefore, you know, about what happens to the body. Clearly it rots. I mean, actually, our body recycles about once every seven to ten years in terms of the cells in our body replenishing. So we actually have several bodies throughout the course of an average life. That leads to confusions too. It's sometimes seen as a red line in the sand, whether you believe in the resurrection of the body. Um, As a bishop back in the 1980s, David Jenkins, used to say, whatever Christianity might be, it can't be a conjuring trick with bones. That would be to reduce it to magic. So these things feed into confusions about the afterlife. The way into it, I think, is to think more carefully about what life is like now. And that leads naturally, I think, to a sense of the afterlife, a kind of continuity beyond physical death. When you think about life in its energetic qualities rather than its measurable quantities, that starts to lead to a much more open, expansive sense of life and vitality and dynamism. And actually is quite in accord with modern physics where it's quite natural now to say that physical matter is just a manifestation that shows up depending on the way you look at the world. And that this helps to explain why there can be such things as non-lo- non-locality. Because we're looking at the one thing, but in its different aspects, which we call matter. Matter, whatever it might be, certainly isn't bits and bobs of stuff floating around in space as the old atomic model conceives of it. That went a long time ago. And then when you think about your own material existence, think about how so much of that is shared with the rest of the living world. and The vast majority of what we do all day, all night, every day, every night is unconscious to us. It's forms of metabolism, say. And In a way, our metabolism is just our particular way of expressing the metabolism that we share with other human beings, and then of course with other creatures through evolution. Again, it's our particular expression of a much more general process um, that we, with consciousness, can turn our attention towards and know a little bit more. But I hope you can start to see that life is already something, not our possession, which... Often the questions around, do I survive death, imply, but it's our way of riding a flow of life, a way of life. The material side is the most tangible, but it's only the most tangible to the empirical senses. Now, this has been picked up by various philosophers. William Blake famously remarked that the body is just that aspect of the soul that's enclosed by the five senses a very prescient remark given modern physics. Ludwig Wittgenstein remarked that when I encounter you, I encounter you as a soul, not a body, and the body is just an empirical image of the soul. You know, no one says the body is in pain, the body hungers. They say, I'm in pain, I hunger. We speak very naturally as if we're souls, of which our bodies are a tangible expression not the other way round. And that sense of continuity of being, therefore, seeing ourselves in a way as manifesting at different levels that you can tune into depending on how you look. If you look for the physical, you find the body. If you look for the soul, you find the energy, the character, the personality of the person. That seems to me to match, at least at a high level, the way that physics understands the manifest world as well. So on this confusion about the body and soul, there's no need for the anxieties. To stress the body just amplifies the dualism. Rather, it's to recognise that all objects in the world have presence, and so therefore in some way have a subjectivity. That's clearly the case for us, which is why we relate to each other as I, relating to I. Um, but even to other Creatures in the living world, there's a sense of presence, even to seemingly inanimate landscapes, there's a powerful sense of presence too, if you do this tuning in. And so, well, as the ancient philosophers used to say, everything is full of gods, everything is full of soul. That is what we're really relating to. And so soul and body come to be seen as part and parcel of the same thing, in fact, and no need to split them off. The body being the most transient, the most material, the most changing. The soul being that which holds that transient changingness together. When it comes to the significance of Jesus, I've already said that I think he was internalising the notions of the apocalypse that were already very current in his time by his remarks that have been recorded such as the kingdom of God is within you. And that the early disciples, figures like Paul, wrestle with that understanding and gradually internalize it themselves. So, for example, the later writings of Paul reflect that he knows now he's taking on the mind of Christ, not waiting for Christ to return, as he puts it in his early letters. And similarly, the Gospels reflect that development when you notice that, for example, in John's Gospel, there's no talk of the Apocalypse. And instead, there's much reflection on the nature of I am, knowing divinity within ourselves here and now, as opposed to the early Gospels, which do have sections that reflect on the possible nature of the apocalypse. The kingdom of God is within you. And I think also that the significance of Jesus is not just as Christians might express it. It is a moment in an unfolding that reaches across the whole of creation This is an idea sometimes referred to as the evolution of consciousness by figures such as Owen Barfield, and it can be tracked in all sorts of ways. You can see this unfolding, this change going on in the centuries before the birth of Jesus, around the Mediterranean, in the Hebrew tradition, in the Greek tradition, and... It's sometimes called the axial period and so is also observed in the Indian tradition, in the Chinese tradition, reaching right around the world. And when it comes to notions of the afterlife, there's a general sense that the individual is going to matter in the afterlife, rather than the older tradition which saw people as dying and returning to their ancestral shades. It's why ancestral land, being buried with the ancestors, is such... A key concern in this pre axial period. And one of the things that starts to happen actually is that individual burials start to become a practice. The individual has been buried, entering into the afterlife, a different phase of life as an individual, not becoming a shade, fading out, returning to the ancestral land. That's one of the changes which the figure of Jesus brings together, certainly around the Mediterranean world, and so his individual resurrection becomes really important as an expression of that. People were already expecting the resurrection in his time. Um, He has conversations with people such as Martha, where Martha says, I know that there'll be a resurrection. But what people are asking about is the nature of that resurrection. And I think Jesus' message combined with the kingdom of God is within you, is that you can know that resurrected life here and now you can know your life as a continuity from the present into the eternal present that is the difference that christ makes and because it's something that's unfolding as you might expect if you're a monotheist with the spirit of god unfolding it in different places in different ways you see that in other traditions too so for example the axial tradition of Taoism, in writers like Xuanzha. There's great interest in the nature of immortality and how that's changing compared to previous notions of it. And then in the same kind of time period in India, you get the Vedantic tradition and non-dualism emerges in its mature forms. Um, People have been searching around for it for quite a while but it emerges in its mature forms around this time and figures like Shankara reflect that the awakening is to know that our finite manifest transient self is just a kind of reflection or a shining of the infinite timeless zone of being of which we're a part and that to understand ourselves as full of that presence rather than isolated from the divine is a key task within the non-dual tradition. But there is this similarity of being invited to reflect on life now, to feel into the afterlife. It's there in Plato as well, it's essentially what Socrates does in his dialogue, the Phaedo, trying to invite those who were around him on his deathbed to think about the nature of being alive and seeing that death therefore is a change in that sense of being alive rather than a disruption or an end to that sense of being alive. The Platonic tradition also develops this into a sense of return that being born, whether it's the birth of the whole creation or the individual, is a movement outside of the divine in the sense that it is a quest for a new kind of creativity, diversity, freedom actually within the divine life because nothing can be outside of being or it would just fall away from being entirely. And then there's a return to that which kind of amplifies or celebrates, enjoys all the more the divine life. And I think you can get some sense of what that might be like by cross referencing different accounts of life after death, of which there are now quite a few that are of quality that you can access. Um, so, one would be the accounts in the New Testament of the resurrected Christ, clearly in a new spiritual form that has a flexible relationship to the material world. Um, Sometimes Jesus eats, sometimes Jesus doesn't, sometimes he's present and not recognised, sometimes present and becomes recognisable. And again, that speaks to this sense of how you tune in to the world around showing up different things. Jesus, as it were, could show more aspects of the visible and invisible world to the disciples in this spiritual form. You get a similar thing in dante as well in the divine comedy and there you have a sense that people live from a sense of the quality of things rather than the quantity so the divine light shines more intensely as dante comes to understand the truth of divine life through his love through his intellect so again there's a sense of tuning in more deeply into life taking you into the afterlife Um, It's even reflected in accounts of NDEs, near-death experiences. Um, One of my favourite, because it's so rich and well-documented, is that of Elizabeth Crone, who wrote a book with Jeff Kripal called Changed in a Flash. And it's very striking that a number of the things that she describes in this afterlife she entered as a result of a lightning strike Chimes very precisely, actually, with Dante. So, for example, she talks about it being a place where things are transparent, and so you see the truth, and that shows up as a kind of light. She talks about there being telepathy, but not telepathy as in two individually isolated people, suddenly being able to read each other's minds, but telepathy that comes about because all people in this state share in the divine mind, and so share in a kind of flow of information, a flow of life. That's very much how Dante describes things as well. And then there's the issue of time and how time becomes flexible, becomes diaphanous. You're able to move through different qualities of time, which is something we experience here in life, And in the afterlife, the eternal, the timeless present, becomes the dominant form. And we get glimpses of that here and now. Both Dante, Elizabeth Crone, and of course many other wisdom traditions speak of the eternity of the present. Heaven in an hour, as William Blake puts it. So my sense is that a lot of the confusion starts to clarify when we remember really what life is like now and remember that we are souls living felt qualitative experiences of life shared with the world around us as well. And it's clarifying because it gives us a way of trying to develop a sense of life beyond the immediate life as we take it to be, and so becomes a pilgrimage, a journey into the afterlife, rather than this slight guessing game which seems to be held within the modern Christian tradition, you know, is it this, is it that, is it something else, we're not quite sure, let's just hope God brings it all together. Which is also to say that this life matters. How you perceive things, the quality of life that you lead, is going to either narrow or expand the sense of what life can be about. And so it matters now. It gives meaning and purpose to life right here and now. Are you pushing towards this more expansive sense, or do you find yourself on occasion, maybe for quite long periods of time, feeling trapped, feeling imprisoned? Either way, it gives a sense of purpose to those moments because we're constantly invited to step into the wider and wider life, which, when you think about it, must be what life is about because life is not our own. It's always already shared, always already given. And because we have this tremendous thing called self-awareness, metacognition, self-consciousness, we are invited particularly to step into it deliberately and know it more and more.